You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, I'm Brooke, and this is Tech Band 157 with my dad and some guy named David. And it is tech fan number 157. I'm Tim Robertson, and he is David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. So our audio quality. You know, I went and listened to our last show back, and hey, that audio quality was not good at all. Uh, Guy Searle recorded it on his end, and so, uh, you know, it wasn't a direct mic feed um, from me and from you directly into my garage band. Now, you and I are talking on Skype. Yep. And that, you know, we have issues occasionally but i've literally got you hardwired my output from what i hear goes directly into my mobile pre-usb um and then it goes directly back into the computer on a separate channel so it's not one channel that we're Mm -hmm. recording on so i can adjust your sound as needed david isn't that a cool thing well it is i mean it it shows that you know what you're doing you've been doing it a long time not to say that that you know guy doesn't know what he's doing he's also been doing it a long time but i i think his setup is different to yours Well, guy also changes his setup quite often yeah (laughs) but i found the setup that works yeah and it's really independent of the operating system as well because most of the audio is really controlled by the mobile pre-usb as long as i only have you and I talking. Now, if we add a third person in on Skype, I can't really adjust the sound all that well because let's say they're quiet. I can't boost them up because at that point, you're going to sound like you're yelling. Yeah. So there are some limitations here, but for the most part, the audio quality has been pretty consistent on TechFan. And I listened to the one last week that Guy recorded and, it, you know, that many people over Skype and he's recording it, it just sounded muddled. Well, I, I was going to say, I, I think I think having that many people as well doesn't really help because Skype just doesn't scale when you have multiple people on. No, it didn't. But it, I tell you what, though, it was really fun and, and uh, enlightening to get all five of us together on the MyMac podcast, number 500, to discuss, you know, the kind of the history of that show. That was I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was nice to change it up for a bit and speak to some new people. Yep. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was good to see kind of how the how the conversation meandered through the history. I was amazing amazed how much of it I'd forgotten. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. When I was putting together the mymacpodcast.com website, uh, which in some respects is unneeded because it's all posted at mymac.com, but. I did want to have a, a, an independent website for just the show, so if someone was interested in going back and listening to old episodes, it would be very easy to find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was putting that site together a year and a half ago or so, maybe two years, looking at some of the descriptions, the show descriptions, was very enlightening. I thought, wow, I God, I, I don't even remember this. <laughs> that yeah. was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Absolutely. And, of course, things may be changing here soon. Um, you know, I'm running my Mac productions, but, uh, I've been going to a few job interviews, David, and I can pretty much guarantee you any job I take is going to interfere with our recording time. So 
you know, the the schedule for this show may be changing when the show comes out, when we record it. It may have to be moved to the weekend. Um, I don't know yet. Well, we'll just have to uh, we'll just have to see. But obviously, you know, paying the bills is the <laughs> yeah. key re- key requirement in life. And feeding those kids, you know, yeah, exactly. So it, everything else will have to uh, have to muddle around that. But we, we won't know until we know. For all, for all you know, they may give you every Friday off. That would be awesome. Um, paid, but yeah, paid of course. <laughs> Otherwise, why take it off? Yeah. Um, but Chad Perry. Actually, we I talked to him after we recorded both TechFan and MyMac last week, and he expressed interest in, in doing uh, TechFan more often with us, and I said, I'd be cool. happy with that. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, Chad Perry would not be over Skype. He would be on mic with me. So yeah. that's an opportunity as well. Um, Chad brings some good insight to the show, and I would yeah. enjoy having him back on it occasionally. Uh, so, so that would you would take advantage of the Perry Perry Media Studio setup? Absolutely, yes. It's <laughs> a little bit quieter, a little bit less trafficked than mine, and my wife doesn't have to literally leave the house like she has done today. And today, uh, the kids are on spring break. Mm, gone too. Yep. And so she took them out of the house uh, for this show, but after this show, I have to record another podcast. So she's literally gone for a couple hours with the kids today. And thankfully, it's a nice sunny day. It's not too warm out, but at least it's sunny. There's no snow on the ground. No problem. Well, next week is um, Good Friday here is a bank holiday, so nobody's working next week. Well, for um, us, our kids, because we had so many school days that were, you know, snow days that the kids didn't yeah. go to school, um, they're making the kids go to school on Good Friday next week. Oh, are they? Well, yep. interesting. But but mine mine will be off, and so to make sure that we have a quiet house for me recording, because I won't be in the office next week, which is where I'm recording now, uh, I'm sending them to another country. Oh, okay. France? <laughs> no, to Israel, actually. Israel, okay. That works, yeah, too. So, uh, they had to I'm be gonna... really loud for you to pick them up there. I, I, would, I would imagine that I'll probably get away with it. <laughs> um... As I just mentioned, though, David, I am recording another show after this one, and that will be OWC Radio 2.0, number one. Uh, I know I announced that on this show a few weeks ago, and I've had some Twitter people ask me, hey, when's the new show starting? Um, it starts today, actually. We had some technical difficulties that we had to overcome. Everything seems to be in order, and I'm recording that first episode today. In fact, I have an interview with Steve Sandy. And I actually did this interview, David, about a month and a half ago. And in anticipation of, well, that's appropriate, actually, because I did exactly the same thing with exactly the same person the last time I did OWC Radio. He was the first guest. Uh, We didn't know what the show was going to be called. There were some technical hurdles that we had to overcome. And I recorded an interview with him six weeks before the first episode actually went live. Exactly the same thing happened this time. Very cool. So so it was appropriate. He's still at the unofficial Apple weblog? He is, and we talked about uh, the Apple's 30th anniversary quite a bit. And I think that's going to be kind of the focus for OWC Radio number one. Now, I know everybody seemed to celebrate it on the day, you know, that week that it actually hit, that was the 30th anniversary of the Macintosh. But I'm kind of looking at it as more of a year-long thing, honestly. It's, It's 30 years ago this year that the Macintosh was launched. And... You're still, in my mind, a recent convert to the Mac. I am, yeah. I, uh, I'm i doing my best to 
and through my vintage Mac collection to go back to get a flavor of what it was like back then. But obviously, I didn't live it, breathe it. Um, I came, I, I think my first Mac was the original Mac Mini, the G4 Mac Mini. So, yeah, that's what, 95, 90, uh, sorry, 2005, 2006, and like that. God, I wish it would have been out in 95, 96. That would have been yeah. awesome. Uh, but nobody can deny the impact that the release of that product had on the entire computer industry. Yeah, and I think that's worth celebrating more than just for one week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it really did transform computing. And uh, let's face it, even with the dominance of Microsoft in the past and uh, the new devices we have today and everything, it was yeah, the the way we interact with our computing devices was is is very much a Mac way, not the old DOS way, um, the old were perfect. 5.1 for DOS days, you know, when, when every every you had to learn keyboard shortcuts for everything, and there was no mice, and uh, there were no graphics, uh, and all of that sort of thing. That was the way computing was done, and that was so huge that at the time everybody said it'll always be like this. How could it be any different? And yet, the Mac came along, gave us the the graphical user interface, gave us the mouse, gave us high res graphics, gave us rendered. Um, fonts on the screen, all of the stuff that we nowadays we take for granted and we have on our smartphones and that sort of thing, that all came from the Macintosh. Yeah, and and you know people say, well, you look at the iPhone and stuff, and it's a, it's a huge shift. It is, but you can still trace the origins of that interface, a touch screen, directly to the Macintosh because the first iPhone, as well as the new iPhone, the underlying operating system is pretty much the same as the underlying operating system of the Mac OS. And that all still has its roots back in that little beige box from 1984. And mm. I love the history of the computer industry, you know. It, it, we're still relatively new into it, David. It's only been roughly 40 years, right? Yeah. I still haven't seen the, the one compilation book that really delves into the history of the people behind the industry. And... We're going to be coming up on a time really shortly that a lot of those people are no longer with us. We've already lost a few. Yeah. And I hope somebody, it's not going to be me, but I hope somebody really starts nailing some of these interviews down and talking about what it was really like. I've seen them for specific companies. I've seen the Apple ones. I've seen the books on Atari, how they had board meetings in a jacuzzi in the 70s. You know, I've seen those books. And I've seen really good books on the video game industry, but I haven't seen something for the computer industry that's like that, that really gives you the flavor of what it was like to invent an entire industry and from more than just one company's perspective, because that could be a work well, perspective. That's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, there's the Apple's history is probably the most well-documented of all the startup computer companies from that period. Um, because of some of the personalities involved. And Microsoft to a degree. But though, not to the uh, degree not that Apple, the, no. Not, not to the same degree. And, and yeah, this was something that probably the mid-90s people started looking at. There was, you know, uh, what was it, Rise of, was it Rise of the Nerds and the, the, yep. the, the cringely um, series that was done. Um, trying for the Nerds, wasn't it? Um, but since then, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not been there. And I, and I think... The way it's being recorded now, if you if you look at movies like The Social Network and stuff like that, which has tried to capture what happened with the, the Web 2.0 
boom and bust. Um, again, they are always focused on one particular person or one particular company. There isn't that broad, this is how it happened thing. Right. And, I, and I think I think there's a lot, you will probably find there's a lot, lot going to be lost. And that's what that's what, what my fear is, because like I said, I really enjoy this industry. And it's a huge industry, and it's probably the one industry that incorporates every other industry, if you know what I mean. The computer industry is in every other industry now. You can't yeah. say, like, uh, medical instruments companies, they're not in every other industry, but computers are absolutely in all these other industries. And I would love to see... I don't know, David, do you think it would be a book? Do you think it would be an ongoing, you know, BBC, PBS type of uh, limited series? Or I, I don't know what it would well, be, but somebody I, has to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I would, what I'd love to see is the BBC does do um, quite a lot on, of in-depth documentaries, uh, documentary series where one person will take four or five episodes to investigate a topic and traditionally they've done those around the sciences so you will see um stuff about the the, the birth of i'm watching one at the moment about the the beginning of chemistry when people started to figure out that the elements weren't were more than just earth air fire and water um and and it talks about how chemistry became a topic and how the elements were identified as individual things with properties and and all of that sort of stuff and they will do that uh, they did another one on electricity. They did another one on on the birth of the of modern physics and um, quantum mechanics and that sort of thing. And they'll have one guy who will who will basically do uh, like a four or five episode documentary, interviewing people, doing things, showing things, you know. And that sort of stuff really works. And I'd love to see something like that for the computer industry because that is an opportunity to capture people talking about it who were there, absolutely um, on film because. Books, you know, books are great, and but the reason I mention those particular documentaries is the more successful ones. They tend to then be supported by a book that actually has more more background on the on the documentary itself and the information presented in the documentary. So then you get the best of both worlds. Um, uh, it, for those stories, for when you're interviewing people who were there, it's nice to see the people actually talking about it because with a book and the places put, too. For some yeah, reason, yeah. I like to see the garage that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak worked in when they started. I like that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I want to see yeah. more of it. But again, it doesn't seem like anybody's doing it. And it's something that you and I could absolutely do. But, <laughs> you know, physically, um, we'd have to get you here. <laughs> because, yeah, I, to be I honest, mean, that, you know, the computer that, industry really did start in the United States to be at the very so. beginning. But a lot of it, I mean, we're also celebrating this year, David, the 25th anniversary of the World Wide Web, and that wasn't yeah. in the United States. No, uh, and and also as well, I think com uh, computing today. If you look at um, if you look at the devices that are being used today, they're all running ARM processors, and ARM actually came out of the British computer industry. Correct. And if it wasn't for the British home computing boom. Uh, and a thing called the BBC Micro, which was a kind of a BBC-specified uh, computer that was very big in education over here. We wouldn't have ARM processors today. That's right. And uh, and I think 
I think the mobile computing landscape will be very, very different without those, without that company. Uh, and they're very much an unsung hin- uh, hero of the British computer industry because most people don't realize that these processors are actually designed and, um, well, yeah, designed because they're not manufactured by ARM, but designed by ARM and then licensed out to other people. And that is a huge British success story. And yep. uh, most, pe- most people even here in the UK don't know it. And that's a shame. And I think that's why the computer industry isn't about even silicon valley it's not about the united states or britain it's a worldwide thing absolutely and i think that we need a series an ongoing series that really explores its history uh the recent history the present there's nothing like that out there right now and i think a lot of people would be interested in it well yeah if you look at you could do something kind of going around the com- going around the world looking at different countries and their impacts on the computer industry. If you look, you'd, you'd want to go to Scandinavia and look at Nokia. Yeah. Because without them, we probably wouldn't have the mobile phone the way we have now. No, they're the ones you'd that want- took it to another level. Yeah, exactly. You, you'd want to look at Britain. You'd want to look at uh, emerging countries like India. <laughs> Talk about the impact on the computer industry when uh, for, for a long time the entire computer industry was supporting being programmed by people from India. Yep. You, know, um, you definitely want, want to look want to at Canada with RIM. Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. there, it's, a, it's a rich history, and it's a history I would like to cover actually more here on this podcast, but let's be honest, David, the last time we talked was the last time we were recording uh, episode 156. We haven't talked yeah. since then, so we don't do our due diligence when it comes to kind of preparing for the content that we're going to speak on this show. If you're going to do – if you're going to – try and be a historian you need to do a bit of prep you Absolutely. can't just wing it wing it like we do everywhere right and <laughs> and we we do this on our own dime yeah and doing it on our own dime means that we can't spend too much time prepping it because we have to make money we have to spend time with our families although my dream david honestly would be for you and i to do this kind of show uh for me to do owc for you know these kind of projects podcasting full time I would, oh, yeah, that would be my dream. But yeah, definitely. That money's not I, there may, yet. Maybe, maybe what we should do is, is obviously we've got, we've got kids who are around about the same age, and yep. they're growing up now. So what we need to be doing is planning for our uh, semi-retirement in 10, 12 years' time. When the kids are off at college and we've got more time on our hands, <laughs> then maybe we can, we can afford to take a few months off and, and throw some of these projects together. Well, you know, we're, we're kind of doing that already, though. I mean, this is preparation for what we're doing in the future but i think that's yeah. for, that's true for everybody isn't it what you're doing now is preparation for what you're going to be doing in the future if you live in just the here and now you're going to have a terrible future yeah some people do um and some people not not to put not to be down on that i think that the the advantage of living for the here and now is you don't tend to worry too much about the future which <laughs> Some respects might be a good thing. I don't know. Well, it's going to come no matter what. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but but some of some of us spend more time worrying about what's coming rather than uh, actually just living with what's coming. Sure, and I'm kind of I fall in between. I enjoy myself now, um, and what really kind of brings that home for me, like my my wife last night posted some pictures on Facebook of the kids eating popcorn, and yeah. it was taken like maybe two or three years ago, and they look so much younger, and that's kind of what brings it home for me that how much growing up that they've done in a relatively short amount of time. That's right. You have to live for the here and now because those days are, these days are not going to last forever. Um, 
One of the things I wanted to talk about before we take our first break, David, Samsung released the Galaxy S5 today. They and did. I've been I've reading been, some yeah. of the interview or the interviews, some of the uh, reviews out there. I don't know if you've been doing that or not. I I have, and you know what? I was just I was just musing on this this morning because I find the reviews of Samsung phones now very much reflect the attitude of the person writing the the review towards yep. Android in general. So people who are kind of generally are more favorable towards android and open stuff as such as such as it is but um kind of you know i, I j- tend to have slightly a less of a, an apple positive slant really rave on about how great these samsung phones are and then the more independent people or the people who recognize uh, app- apple's position in the market as being more than just market share you read their reviews and it's like well yeah it's fine but um they're not really you know that the improvements here aren't really improvements they're just changes um and they seem to be a bit more sanguine about about the thing and i think i think the best one is uh the best headline i read was what I, I read was um the galaxy s5 if samsung's made so many improvements why do i feel so meh about yeah, it that was our technica <laughs> i read that too yeah um and the, they actually had a video review to to accompany their written review and it looks like they just threw more gimmicks at this thing exactly and they went backwards in some respects and well yeah i mean what was telling in that review was they had the picture of the s4 and the s5 next to each other and the s4 looked like the new phone yes it absolutely did it was it had thinner bezels it looked cleaner um and the the s5 kind of looked a bit old school yeah and it looked Uh, a little clunky to me the way that the back just kind of peels off and it's some cheap rubbery plasticky thing i wasn't impressed from what i've seen but i've never really been impressed with the with the galaxy line of phones from from samsung i did like one of the notes i thought that was a kind of a a neat idea and i did play with a phone i don't know if it was a note or what to be honest i was at sam's club um and it had this little faux level faux leather cover on it or backing i should say yeah, and I paid, I touched it, and I thought that's kind of weird. I mean, it, this is always on here. This this faux mm. leather, or maybe it was real leather. I'm not sure, but it was. That's part of the phone. I I didn't like that at all. Well, I th- I think Samsung in some ways is kind of trapped by their own success. They can't innovate the look of the phones too much because then they'll look too different, and they spend a heck of a lot of money. Um, propping up their market share by making sure everybody knows that if you want Android phones and Samsung is, is what it is and the, the Galaxy S phones are the ones that everyone wants. And I think to, clearly in, in their market, um, they they seem to believe that just what they call innovation, which is kind of throwing extra features in there, um, are is, is, is enough to maintain their sales. Me, I, I, I kind of hope, always hope for a little bit more. Look, um, do you think Google likes Samsung? I don't think they do. I think they are. I think at the early days they were happy for Samsung to be who they were and as successful as they were. The problem is, is that I think Google is now becoming uncomfortable with the fact that Android is becoming synonymous with Samsung because that takes the control away from Google and puts it in Samsung's court. And I don't think they're comfortable with that, particularly as they, they now seem to be kind of veering away from some of the things they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that they're in a slightly opposition, though, even though Samsung is their biggest partner, they're kind of becoming a competitor. 
and a competitor who's capitalizing on Google's freely given intellectual property, which is the Android operating system. So they're kind of in an odd place. Yeah, I, uh, I've been reading a lot lately about Android, and the more I look into it, David, really start delving into it, the, the less I'm impressed with it. And I really do believe that to really be successful long-term, you really do need to control the hardware and the software. Now, I'm not saying the way Apple does it is the right way, although those are the products that I tend to move towards when I'm making a purchase myself. But, you know, uh, RIM controlled their software and their hardware. And they're a colossal failure now, but they weren't always a colossal failure. I think this is the uh, this is the dilemma that somebody like Apple faces. Um, when you control that entire ecosystem, you can be very successful. But uh, as we've seen, very myopic as well. Well, th- I think that's one that's that's one problem. I, I think even if even if it's not your fault, it, you can only survive a couple of missteps. Yeah. Uh, once the perception, you know, as it's that perception becomes reality. Thing, once the perception comes that you're on a downward curve. Uh, and I think this is what happened with RIM. It becomes very difficult to overcome it. And that's the, the real danger that Apple faces. If they released a device that was very, very lukewarm received in the market, and by that I mean not not by people who review them, because let's face it, they always get lukewarm reviews from a lot of people. But um, if they kind of did a misstep and released something that people didn't really want to buy, um, they would... They, I don't think they would struggle initially, but if they then came back with that without something that was a smashing success, then I think they would be in trouble. And I don't think it would take much for the iPhone or the iPad or the Mac to, for one of those product lines to start being perceived in the kind of the rim downward spiral way. And I think when you get when you get to that position, it's very hard to come back. Um, fortunately, Apple is broad enough in the fact that they have those three to four product lines that they can probably afford to make a misstep in one and still cut and still you know go gangbusters in the others um samsung doesn't certainly their phone business i don't think it really has that breadth um, no all their phones are kind of similar exactly and and rim certainly didn't because all of their phones were extremely similar in uh, fact their ceo today said or it might have been yesterday and it was reported today that the return to profitability is the number one goal, even if that means they don't make any phones anymore. Yeah. That's a strong statement, David. It is. But the problem with that is that we've seen other companies who were in this position, try that route. Remember Palm? Yeah. That's exactly what Palm did. Palm started, they were, you know, king of the PDA market. They missed the boat with smartphone integration. Um, they tried to come back from that too late. They had, products that were behind the curve their software was behind the curve they were in that same position and eventually what did they do they said right well we're not going to make devices anymore we're just going to license the software it's too late did not save them no true um, and i don't think i don't think rim's going to be able to get away with that either i think what they need to do is they need to think differently rather than just um you know i i well I, this the stuff i've heard coming from the uh people who've been in the, in the uh the ceo ever going around about they're having over there none of them have said anything that really inspires me that that they kind of have a good idea about you need somebody who 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 doesn't say that they know what to do but somebody who actually does know what to do do yeah. you know what i mean no, i absolutely had, do don't yeah, don't tell they, me show me 
Yeah, exactly. They've had a lot, a lot of CEOs who come out with these very bullish statements. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's going to turn around. This is going to turn around. That. As like you say, it's like don't spout off your first week in the job that you're the guy who knows what it is. Just knuckle down and get it done. Yep. Yeah. And and you need to see a lot of not a lot of talk, but you need to see a lot of change from the company to really inspire you that they know what they're doing. Look at. Again, you know, yeah, we're the Apple guys, so we always go back to Steve Jobs. But but look at what Steve Jobs did when he came back into Apple. Yeah, anybody he, that's he, recent to the Mac platform or Apple, maybe you don't realize how bad and what kind of position. Apple was in a worse position in 96 and 97 than Rim is right now. And we're already saying Rim is dead. Yeah, they they were, what, probably six to eight months from bankruptcy? They were six months away from closing the doors. Yeah, uh, a, a mass of products, a, a, a whole load of differentiated product lines that were very confusing. A lot of them actually functioned much the same way, even though they were different product lines at different prices. Um, they had some stuff that that been in the market for a long time that and hadn't sold well, like the Newton and things like that. Uh, and Steve just come, came on and said, "We are not going to make all this rubbish anymore." And he uh, did, and he made a huge <laughs> change. Let's let's talk he, about that uh, after uh, the break on the flip side here, David. Okay. David and I will be right back. Let's talk Apple. We play all your favorite hits with no commercials. 24-7 music even the boss can enjoy. Okay. Host Bart Bouchotts doesn't play the hits or really any music. What he does do is give you the monthly wrap-up of what's going on in the Apple ecosphere, along with great guests with different opinions. You can get the news anywhere, but Let's Talk Apple will tell you what it means. Find it in iTunes, stoplightnetwork.com, or at lets-talk.ie domains. Here we go! Curious about Nintendo? Well, check out the Nintendo Club podcast. This podcast is done twice a week. We dive into all things Nintendo. We dive into retro. We dive into current games, what we're playing, what cool Nintendo news is going on. Check it out here at the Spotlight Network, the Nintendo Club podcast. We broadcast this live out every Sunday evening starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. Check out the NintendoClubPodcast.com website for more information. Back here on Tech Fan Podcast number 157, I'm Tim Robertson. He is David Cohen. We'd love to get feedback from you guys. Simply go to techfanpodcast.com, leave your feedback there, or email us. You can email me directly, tim at techfanpodcast.com, and David can be reached at... Uh, David at techfanpodcast.com. So we do have a feedback from uh, Michael Breed. He's a writer at mymac.com. Uh, we will get to that a little bit later in the show. Uh, I think I sent that to you, didn't I, David? Uh, you probably did. Actually, I think yeah, uh, but... Michael sent it to you directly. <laughs> oh, that's right. He did, yeah. So if he you've did. got that. Because uh, I remember responding to him. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, um, do you have that? I, I have it. Give me a, a moment or two. We'll, to bring we'll up my get email to that in a, in a few yeah. minutes. We're going to continue talking about Apple and what they did to kind of pull themselves out of what was perceived by everyone as a death spiral. They were practically on their deathbed. At the time, uh, they had hired a new CEO. His name was Gil Emilio. And Gil Emilio was known for rescuing companies. He had rescued uh, 
uh, a semiconductor company. I'm drawing a blank on their name right now. Is it, is it Fairchild or? Um, it, I think he came from Fairchild to another one and rescued it, but it's neither here nor there. He was he was the guy to to whip Apple into shape on a corporate level. He was the guy to come in and see what the processes and procedures were and try to make them better. His job was to look at some of the things that was going on at Apple and put the ax to it. Now, one of the things at the time that was vitally important to Apple was their software development for the Mac OS. And Mac OS really hadn't changed too drastically since the very first Macintosh. They were simply building more and more on top of it, and it was becoming unattainable, to be honest. It was it was um, crash-prone. If one app would lock up, your entire computer was frozen, and, and you'd have to do a hard reset. Uh, they were adding more features to what was already an antiquated operating system. So one of the first things that Gil Emilio did was he went shopping for a new operating system, an underlying technology that they could build a new Mac OS above. And the reason he did that is he did the tour, he met with all the teams at Apple, and he saw what the progress was for the next generation of Macintosh, the operating system. And to say he wasn't impressed would be an understatement. And I know this because Chad and I actually did an interview with him way back in the day on the MyMac podcast. And I also read his book. But I was also uh, not just looking back at history to find out what happened. My Mac started in 95, so I was on the front lines. I saw this happening. I talked oh. to people at Apple at the time that a lot of this was going on. And so that's not firsthand knowledge. That's still secondhand knowledge. But I was in the trenches and I saw it. And it was a colossal mess. There were so many different teams working on so many similar technologies, and nobody was in charge of anything. Everybody had their own little special projects. And the Copeland operating system is what the project was initially, uh, and it was going to be Mac OS 8. That was going to be the brand-new operating system. Now, for a long time, Apple users, you know we had a Mac OS 8, but that wasn't the Mac OS 8 that Apple was hoping to release. And what they did was they looked at a few different companies. Uh, BOS was one of them. Next was another. Uh, they actually looked at Microsoft's NT platform, which was a good platform at the time. Yeah. What could they build the new Mac around? They picked the next OS. And part of the reason was it was Steve Jobs' company. And a lot of the people that worked for Next were ex-Apple people. So it was kind of a homecoming, not for just Steve Jobs, but for a lot of people that worked at Next that had worked at Apple. And very similar to what happened with Pixar and Disney, it was kind of a reverse takeover, i.e. Apple purchases Next, and within a year, all of the Next people are in the top-ranking positions at Apple, including Steve Jobs as CEO. Same thing happened with, with Disney. Disney purchases uh, Pixar, and all the top Pixar people become all the top people at Disney. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but that's okay if it works. And it absolutely yeah, and works for both Disney and Apple. Well, exactly, yeah. You just look at the success of Frozen and you think, well, you know, that's Disney back in the animation game again uh, the first for the first time in, in a long time. I would say Tangled yeah. was probably their first. It wasn't the yeah. success as Frozen, but uh, when it comes to quality product, uh, Tangled was yeah. a great movie. I actually liked it better than Frozen. Uh, it's a much yeah. better movie. But it shows that if you take the right people from this property you purchased and you put them in a company like Disney with more resources, look at what they can do. Yeah. It's amazing. 
And Disney was hurting for a while there. Now, now you look at Disney and they're massive. They're absolutely, they own the geek market. Um, they own Pixar, obviously they own the Disney properties. They own star Wars and they own Marvel. I mean, good Lord. Yeah, but that Marvel purchase is not really working out. No, for we're not working out. <laughs> not working at all. Have you seen Winter Soldier yet? I saw it last week. Yeah, what'd you what think? A fabu- what a fabulous movie. Wasn't it that? That was great. Uh, Robert I mean, Redford. Really, oh, so whole, good. The, the, just to go off topic for a minute, the whole thing, you, you kind of, you watch a movie like The Avengers, which obviously was the ultimate geek movie, and you sure. think, okay, so they're not going to top that until we get the next Avengers movie. And, and it's good that we're going to get single hero character movies between. And, you know, I, I liked Thor the Dark World, but it was okay. It, wasn't it was okay. Fu- it wasn't great. It was, it was, it was fun, but, it, you know, it was, it was great. But it, was, it wasn't okay. And, and tonally, I didn't, I didn't find it, the story was that different from the previous movie. No. You know, they've got a, they've got a big MacGuffin that the bad guy wants. And, you know, uh, so, and yet this, this, this uh, film comes along and, and, the, without giving too much away, the guts of it, mm. the, the the risks they take with the with characters they've already established uh, with this, the way they capture what it's like to be a super soldier, uh, having been transplanted from you know the the the, the Nazi years of the war yeah. to try and accommodate that, to question what what it is you do and why you do it, uh, and yet to to continue to to do it and and demonstrate this guy's a superhero everybody in the world thanks the avengers knows that captain america is a superhero and yet constantly in this movie he surprises the people around him by what he what he does and we're not talking powers we're not we're, we're talking about the way he thinks the way he acts the way he moves the way he behaves it's it to me it was it was a great achievement uh, and really again as well a great movie in itself, and yet sets up so much more for the next set of movies that are coming. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought it was stunning. Not I only really that, did. but the, they, it changed the television series that's... <laughs> Absolutely, Overnight. Yeah. I mean, the following Tuesday, this this last week's of uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. It, wow. It, everything had to change because of what happened in the movie. I've never seen yeah. that before, and it was... Yeah. It made Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a better show. The last couple episodes is the best it's ever been. And I, yeah. my faith in that show is renewed. But you're right, David. This is somebody that came from the 40s during the war where you don't question authority. You don't question that America is in the right. It's the red, white, and blue. And our allies are the, are, are the Brits. And you could trust them completely. And now he's in the modern world. And... Does he still trust the authority? He does when he first gets here to the future. You see that at the end of the Captain America, the first movie. You see that in the Avengers to a certain extent. But now in this movie, hmm, he has to start questioning authority. And Captain America, that's not what he does. He doesn't go off on his own. He's a soldier. And a soldier's part of an army. And that army was S.H.I.E.L.D., and everything changes, and it was fantastic. It was really good. Yeah. Did you like it more than the Avengers? I think I probably like them ab- about the same. I'm the same uh, way. I mean, the, the the thing is, the Avengers because there's all those characters in the same film. It's hard that to beat that it, spectacle. It is, yeah. And and you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the next one, even though the next one's going to have to be a very different movie because uh, everything has changed. Uh, it has a much more of a 
of a, of a interspace flavor that, that because it's all about Ultron and that sort of thing that this one doesn't. And obviously between between now and then we're going to get Guardians of the Galaxy as well, which is kind of again I can't I'm 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 not familiar with those characters, but I can't wait to see it to see if Marvel can pull off the kind of wacky cosmic comic in a movie in a live action movie. Well, the trailer I mean, is very promising. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's it's because because we've seen well, we saw DC try to do it with Green Lantern, and they kind of it was it wasn't wasn't great at all. It was so unconvincing. Yeah, <laughs> you know the the and and I'm really interested to see that. So so yeah, really, uh, um, anybody who's not gone gone seeing the Winter Soldier yet, go and see it. It's you will have a great time. Even if you even if you're not interested in the comic book stuff, the action sequences in this film are amazing. Yeah, you really Absolutely get to see a super amazing. soldier cutting but loose it, against people that but that again, was impressive it, yeah but again it's so grounded it's so the yep. way they even the way they shot it and everything made you feel, even though you know there's a lot of cgi going and everything you it made you feel like it was all real yeah and not in a kind of a cheesy way but in a in a kind of a gritty way it was it was great it was really great and for hardcore comic book fans some of the characters names you know who they're going to eventually become yeah. um do you know who crossbones is yeah. Yeah. Did you see him in the movie? I did. Yeah. Yeah. That that was yeah. so good. Uh, I but I really love the Falcon. Now my understanding is he's not in Avengers, and that kind of bums me out because I really liked that character. I really did. And yeah. Winter Soldier he... himself is an interesting character. My fear is that's what the next Captain America is going to be about. I don't. I don't really care about that character too much, to be honest. Yeah, I, I was think kind of bored with will. it almost immediately. It's like, okay, there's the big reveal. I get that, and yeah, yeah. We'll 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 see. Uh, I mean, obviously, the next movie will be colored by. I mean, I think that's one of the advantages that Marvel has is that the events in each of these movies is col- is colored by what's happened in the other properties in the meantime. Absolutely. Uh, and 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 I think that's a huge strength for them because it it gives the universe much more depth and it gives them opportunity to put motivations in front of the characters um that that otherwise wouldn't be there. look at in Iron Man 3 where Tony Stark is haunted by what happened in the Avengers. Yep. And it is one of the prime motivations for the movie is is the fact that he's haunted by that that he's he's no longer the the cocky arrogant I can do it what I can invent my way out of any problem. Did you uh, see even though that, All yeah. Hail the King? It was a short. Yeah, that was... I've, I've seen I've seen the seen all the shorts. I actually watched oh, them all the other. So yeah. good. I want to see more of that character that Ben Kingsley plays as the Mandarin. Oh, so good. I want to see more of that. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. we digress and we apologize. <laughs> we had to geek out for a little bit. It's a great movie. Go see it. It's definitely worth your time. Political intrigue. I mean, it's got Robert Redford in it for Christ's sakes. I mean, and that's and it's not just because he's Robert Redford in the movie. The character he plays, oh, really good. Yeah. Really, really good. So anyways, um, let's get back a little bit to Apple. So Apple goes out. They buy Next. Next comes in, basically takes over. Steve Jobs takes a look at the landscape. And what Gil Emilio didn't change or get around to changing yet, Steve Jobs takes a, a blunt tool and clubs things to death. The Newton is one of them. I think I think I mean obviously he had the advantage that uh, Apple knew they were in trouble and everyone who worked there when they saw him come back were kind of motivated to do whatever he wanted to do because they were looking for him to save them you know the founder comes back 
the prodigal's son returns if you want obviously he he by that by that time he'd established his business chops because of pixar um whereas before i think one of the re- when he was originally there he suffered because because of his personality people didn't take his business ability seriously and um, he didn't have the business ability the first time yeah, around he, at Apple. He developed that, and I think also, you know, life had rounded a few of his corners Absolutely. off as well. Um, as but it does yeah, to he, all of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he had the capabilities to come back and say, well, we're going to change this. We're going to change this not in six months, 12 months, over an 18-month program. We're going to change it today. We're going to launch just this, and we're going to kill everything else. Yep. And that's pretty much what they did. That's exactly you know, what they, they did. The they, iMac was yeah. the first shot. And yeah, and was... I know, no, Steve Jobs didn't invent it, and I know that Gil Emilio started the program, and Johnny Ive was already there and had come up with the designs, but Steve made it happen. Absolutely. Nobody could have yeah. sold the iMac the way Steve Jobs did. No. That's just a and, fact. And the, yeah, and the old Apple would have released the iMac, but at the same time, they still would have said, oh, we still have all these beige things over here for anybody who doesn't like that, and, and it would have been very mixed. And all this. In fact, instead, what Steve, Steve Jobs is, he says, no, all that other stuff is gone. Yep. Yeah, we'll keep the laptops. I remember we'll the the product tree that they had, and he showed it before, and then they showed the new product, and it was it was four squares, and that was it. Here's their yeah. their desktop models, and here's their laptop models. This is the, for the consumer. This is for the business customer, and Apple had never done that before, David. No, and it was impressive, and I, I you know I don't know if Steve Jobs was a great leader. Um, I know he was a visionary, and that's what Apple needed at the time. That's what BlackBerry needs at this time. They need a visionary. Yeah. Uh, you could find a lot of people who could lead the company. You need a visionary that's going to step in and rally the troops, set a new path, and say, this is what we're going to do. It, see, I, I'm getting mixed signals out of uh, the new CEO for Microsoft, whether they're actually doing that. It, they seem to be doing the right things, but then I hear what they're doing with Windows, and I go, huh, they're still on that whole Windows everything. And, yeah. and I, it's just not a good trajectory for what they should be doing, in my opinion. I could be wrong, of course. But I, I don't know, David. It's a visionary slash leader. Those are... That's very hard to find someone that can do that, isn't it? It's a, it is a tall order, uh, and I think this is why ninety percent of companies don't end up being now. They don't be, become successful, or they don't capitalize on their lead, or they you know they fade into obscurity, or you know they're a flash in the pan. That's why, because it's very difficult to find those qualities in people, and then to have those people. You know, and also there's an element of luck as well. You do have to be in the right place in the right time. Sure. Um, you know, Steve Steve Jobs was very fortunate that he came back to Apple just when computing was really starting to change. He was able to sell the iMac partly on the back of Web 2.0 yep. and the fact that you know one of the one of the I, I remember it very clearly because I had a, a working here at this company. I, I I left and then came back, but I remember back then there was a guy who was a Mac guy. He was the only guy in the company. You know, that, this is we're talking about 2000 2001. So it wasn't me. I wasn't the Mac guy then. Um, and he said to me, he said, he said, oh, yeah, I just got one of these new iMacs. It's great. He says, you take it out of the box, within five minutes, you're on the internet. And at the time, that, yeah. sounds, that sounds silly now, but at the time, it was time, so it was difficult to, to get connected to the internet back in the day. And here's yeah, this all-in-one machine that you could connect to a broadband or had a built-in modem. 
and it was boom, oh, right there. Uh, oh, and and it also had wireless. Yep. <laughs> and wireless before before wireless was a thing. Yep. You know, it was crazy. They 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 recognized that that was going to be big. But more and importantly, so they probably, made it easy. More importantly, probably for Apple from. Um, a marketing standpoint is it didn't look like any other computer out there. No. And it was this round bubble and it was different color and eventually different colors. And it was just different and it stood out and Apple recognized way before the rest of the computer industry that, you know what? Yes, there it's a box and it does computing on it. And by its very nature, it's very geeky and nerdy, but that doesn't mean you can't have style. That doesn't mean you can't position it on someone's desk and have it look good. Apple and got that way it, before anybody yeah. else. And by having it look good, you make it appeal to people who normally don't buy computers. That's right. You know, that is that I mean that is one of the secrets of uh, Apple's success is their ability to appeal to their not to what would what you and I would call the non-core audience, but you know, to them is is the bigger audience. It's it's the general consumer. Well, you and know, look at it today. You go into a computer store and you'll see people who don't understand what they're doing and don't understand what they're buying, but they want to be there and they want to buy one of these devices. Yep. They want to buy an iPad. They want to buy a music player. They want to buy a, a laptop. And it's because the, the very fact that people off the street now who aren't enthusiasts go and buy these devices, you can lay the responsibility for that very firmly at Apple's door because that is Apple's doing. That's not Microsoft's doing. That's not Windows is doing. Uh, and Microsoft, you know, they surfed off the back of that for a long time. They, Absolutely. You know, they, they realized, you look at the launch of Windows 95, they realized very early that, that by trying to appeal directly to the consumer, trying to make something cool, you could get more sales. But what they didn't realize is it's not just the software. It has to be the hardware as well. You know, I, the, the best indication back in the day for me when I knew Apple was going to be okay, I went into a CompUSA who don't even exist anymore. Yeah, and it was shortly after the iMac was released. Uh, now I actually worked the iMac release thing for them, but mm-hmm. I went back as just a customer. I just wanted to walk through when they didn't have the whole, you know, glitzied up because of this new product. And there was the iMac in the line with all the other PCs, and the difference couldn't be more obvious. One was a consumer product that was really cool looking, and the rest of them were just these beige boxes. And it stood out in a way that I had never seen a product stand out before. I never saw a, one particular TV just look so much cooler than the rest of the TVs, you know? They're all TVs, they all look the same. Um, I never really saw refrigerators. One would just stand out, except for the company that first came out with the stainless steel one. That one kind of popped, but. Two months later, they're all stainless steel. But yeah. it was still a refrigerator. The iMac was something different. Uh, there's a show on, it's I think it's all on today, called America's Funniest Videos. They had an entire background at one point of nothing but iMacs, all the different colored iMacs. And it, why were they up there like that? Because they were cool looking. They, were, they, were, they transcended just being a computer. And Apple, like you said, uh, yeah. understood that long before anybody else. And, and in, in a certain way, David, they're still the only company who really gets it. Because if you go to any store that sells laptops, for the most part, they all kind of look like a MacBook Pro. Yeah, or a MacBook Air. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I've, 
apologies some, to our listeners who, who have heard me tell this story before, but to anybody who hasn't, the reason I'm into Mac. Uh oh. Somebody didn't want to hear the story because David got cut off. It's right my there. wife. Oh, there you are. You, 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 got, I ordered, you got cut off there, David. <laughs> I, you can hear me. All yep. right. Okay. Um, yeah, the, that's the reason I'm into Mac today because I got a. Um, I bought off eBay a titanium power book because I wanted to try OS X. And uh, yeah, this thing was cheap. Got it from the States. It was cheap, but it was in really nice condition. Uh, and uh, I'm playing around with OS X on, on the sofa. And my wife says, Well, what's that? Where did you get it from? Why don't you tell me you bought it? <laughs> you know, you know that conversation. All too well. Uh, but uh, I said, oh, you know, it's an Apple Mac. I thought I'd try it. And, you know, so she, she kind of looked at the OS ten desktop and what I was doing. She said, oh, that looks nice. That looks a little bit better on Windows. She was, you know, mildly interested. No more than that. But then a few weeks later, we're in a store, and she sees this desktop again. She says, oh, there's one of those Mac things. I said, oh, yeah, that's the new one they've done, the Mac Mini. So she goes over and she has a look at it, and she sees the Mac Mini sat on the uh, sat on the desk next to this monitor with a keyboard, and then she looks kind of under the desk and she goes, "Oh, yeah, very good." So and, and she was used to having my old Windows computers, which sure. were the black or the beige boxes, you know. Yep. So she looks at it and she goes, "Yeah." Desk. She says, "Well," she says, "She says, well, where's the where's the desk? Where's the box?" And I said, "No, no, that that is the box." She said, "What? The whole computer is that?" And I went, "Yeah." And she said, "Right." She said, where can I get one of these? <laughs> and she went, I said, said, oh, you're best getting it from Apple or on the bike from here. She went home that afternoon. She went on her Windows computer and with her own money, she bought herself a Mac Mini. Uh, and obviously that allowed me then to say, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to get rid of my Windows computer. I quite fancy one of these as well, you know. And that's, that's the start of my journey to where we are today. And that was because that machine appealed to my wife because it was so different from what she was used to getting from me. And she, this was a woman who would not have gone out and ever bought a computer before herself. Yeah, but it appealed to her. And Apple... But it appealed to her. And, and she got a sale right there and again. That is the secret. Mm-hmm. That is how you get yourself out of the doldrums. That's how you grow a market. It's all of a sudden you appeal to people who in the past never ever would have considered buying your type of product before. Are you listening, and that's BlackBerry? What I, Are you listening, yeah, Microsoft? That's, because that's, all you're doing right what, now is you're retreading where Apple was two years ago. That's all yeah. you're doing. That's what the Surface is. It looks like an iPad. That's what the BlackBerry and whatever it is, it looks like an iPhone. Samsung, your products, you can put all the faux leather you want on the back. At the end of the day, it looks yeah, like you, an iPhone. You can make it waterproof. You can put whatever sensors in it you want. You know, you can make the screen bigger, smaller, everything. But at the end of the day, it, it it's not new. It's not innovative. All right, that's right. Now, you could argue that about the iPhone now. Um, to, a, to a lesser degree, yes. To a, to, a, to, a, to a degree. And, you know, there are, don't get me wrong, There, you can't innovate every single year. You can't do something new all the time. No, Apple's about but every you, 10 years. Yeah. What you can do, though, is, is once you've established something, is then build on that. But you have to build it carefully. They always, they always used to say that Steve Jobs said that Apple was as much about the things they didn't do and threw out as much as the things they did. Yep. Um, and that's the difference. The stuff that Apple does do to the iPhone is stuff they know will appeal to the to that growing market. You look at the – I've just got a 5S recently. My, somebody in the company left, so um, I said, well, they've got a 5S, and you're not, that's just going to go in the, on, in the shelf. I'll have it rather than, the, rather than that. So I've, I've just switched the 5S from the 5. And the touch sensor, yeah, Samsung has a touch sensor. doesn't work too well, but 
they, you know, they have one on the newest phone. But the point about Touch ID is the way it's implemented means that it has that pick up and show off factor that's going to appeal to everybody. Yep. Because everybody has that experience of, um, yeah, I pick up my phone. It's a. I know I should secure it with a with a pin, but it's a pain to keep typing it in. And with the with Touch ID, you pick it up, you rest your thumb and your finger on it, and immediately the phone unlocks. You know how no many delay, times now I pick up no my swiping. iPad and I've got an iPad three. <laughs> and I put my and why is it unlocking? Oh, definitely. yeah, I know. You get used uh, to it. I, I do the other thing as well, whereas I keep picking up my iPhone uh, and I keep swiping to put the thing in. And I go, oh, I don't. Yeah, and I only remember because I've actually put like a word in there now because I don't need to use it very often, so I've made it much stronger. Yeah. So every time I swipe over where I would type into the keypad, now it gives me the full. And I go, oh, I remember. I put my thumb on it, mm-hmm. filter it in. But the point is, is that to the average consumer. To somebody who's not interested in phone security, you can pick that up and show to them, show it to them, and they go, "Yeah, I get that." What you can't do with a Samsung Galaxy S5 is the same thing, because to configure that touch sensor on the Galaxy S5, you have to go through all sorts of arcane configuration, and then you have to swipe your finger over it, and it's the same as all the other touch sensors. Yep. That, like when I have my laptop, where you do it and then it doesn't catch and so you do it again and it doesn't catch and then the third time sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and sometimes when it doesn't work it doesn't tell you it doesn't work it just kind of blanks the screen for a minute and you're thinking was this working is it not was it and and that's that's a samsung problem yeah is the fact that they can't execute the feature the way apple executes and they have a heartbeat monitor on the back of the phone who the hell cares about a heartbeat monitor (laughs) and i'd say that if it was on the new iphone too who cares yeah, exactly. I, what, I don't know one person. Yeah, I don't know one person who says, "Man, I wish my my phone had a, a heart sensor on it." Nobody. Because if you if you're going running, you don't want to strap your phone to your chest. Especially if it's the size of the Samsung S <laughs> five. Jeez. Yeah. I guess it'd be a better workout take, because it's so freaking big. It's exactly. But that but that's the thing. You don't want to take the expensive phone, yeah, and stick it on your chest like you're flipping. And Tony's then start sweating phone. a whole lot. And then start sweating all over it, exactly. And then you're running, you know, through a bad neighborhood and somebody decides to mug you for the phone and all that sort of thing. If you want a heart rate monitor, you want something that goes under your shirt, it's discreet. But yeah, you might want it to. But most people, I think, don't take their, their expensive smartphone with them when they go jogging. No. Not yeah? usually. So it, it's, it's, it, you look at it and, and, it, and you think, well, that's just a, che- a checklist feature. That's, well, that's I don't know, David. I do see a lot of joggers, and I see them all wearing armbands, and it's almost always an iPhone because I see the white headbuds coming out of their arm into their ears. But does the heart rate monitor on the S5 work if it's strapped to your arm? Oh, hell no. It doesn't work as it is now. Right. That's, so, that was kind of the works, point. I mean, I, I've seen them testing arm, it. That's no good. Right. They test it, and then they test it again five minutes later, and there's like a 20-degree... Uh, uh, 20 heartbeats different and it's like what no that's not right so yeah i don't know it just seems like samsung threw a lot of stuff at the s5 hoping that it will sell and you know that's not usually the best course of action especially when the features that you're putting into it that you call features are half-assed and don't work right and that's going to come back to bite samsung no matter how strong their marketing budget is and let's be honest david the only reason that they are in the position they are is they spent a ton of money in marketing and they do a good job of it. No question. But 
But at some point, that division has to turn a profit. Absolutely. And that means yeah, absolutely. profit on the back of its devices against its marketing budget. Yep. Because otherwise, at some point, somebody's going to say, right, well, you can't have that marketing money anymore. That's right. And what happens then is the brand is not well enough established to stand on its own. Then uh, they're the Galaxy is at this moment, but you know, if they start getting a lot of online negative reviews and then people start buying it and they're not happy with it, yeah, guess what? They're not going to look at it next time. And there's a better Android device out there, and it's called it's from HTC. It, it's a better yeah. Android phone. That's when I deal with people who have Android and they ask me which one they should get. I say, look at the, the HTC. There, it's really well built. And it's got features that's actually appealing to you as a user, like the forward-facing speakers. Those are the kind of things that you want on a phone. You don't want a heartbeat monitor. You really don't. But with that, David, we should wrap up this episode of Tech Fan. Like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, I am recording OWC Radio 2.0, episode number one today. It should... I know that's long. Uh, it'll just be OWC Radio when I'm actually on the show. Um it will be live in the Apple Store this coming week, I hope, or the Apple Store, the app, the iTunes Store, iTunes podcast listing, I guess. Uh, you'll be able to go to uh, OWC Radio's website, which is maxsales.com. You'll find a listing there. And I will have links to it at the TechFan website when it goes live, so you guys can follow um, the link over and find the show that way. I've got to say I'm very disappointed. Yeah. I have so many podcasts to listen to already, and now I've got another one I've got to add to the list. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm not doing the long drive to Chicago anymore, and so some of the podcasts that I was really into, I'm so far behind. And yeah, I feel too. guilty every time. Because, you know, I, I use a, an app on my iPhone. I don't do it on my on iTunes anymore. I use Downcast. And yeah. I've got Downcast set to only keep the five most recent ones. And there's a few podcasts that I it's refreshed all of them multiple times, and I'm like, ugh, I'm I missed a lot of content that I wanted to listen to. I have a long drive to do this weekend, which because um, I'm I'm driving my family to Israel, so uh, <laughs> you're driving to Israel. Uh, I'm driving them to the airport to go oh, to Israel, but okay, the airport, that's different. The airport, well, the airport they're going from is London, so um, I'm driving the couple of hundred miles to uh, they couldn't get a direct flight from locally from us well david uh, i'll let I'm, you hear the first episode of owc radio long before everybody else when i'm done excellent editing it i'll put it in our shared dropbox and let you know it's there yeah but i i i'll have my podcast app on the phone going and i'll have everything playing double speed so i can try and get even faster course <laughs> drives, drives my family crazy when they hear me listening to the uh, to the voices going. I, I, I've, I've given up listening to podcasts when the family's in the car it's yeah. a losing battle so it just doesn't happen. So if I'm mowing the lawn or I'm driving somewhere, that's my podcast time. And I can't even listen to podcasts here at home because somebody's got the TV on, the kids are running in and out. I just can't do it. So Bluetooth headphones is the answer to that. I've tried, <laughs> and it's always daddy this, yeah. daddy that. Can you play with right. Star Wars action figures with me? Or can you be Voldemort? Yeah, I get, that's the thing lately. I'm I'm Voldemort now. You're Voldemort. I was a lucky year. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Oh, wait a minute, David. Before we go, ah, man, see what I did there? We'll go, we'll go over a little bit here because I did okay. want to get to that email from Michael Breed. Oh, that's right. Yes. And I actually have it here in front I did, of me. I didn't, I didn't want to say we're going to get to that, and then we don't. And we ask people to, to send us yeah, feedback. Indeed, Look, yeah. everybody 
likes to to hear anybody that's podcasting loves to hear from the listeners we don't do enough to promote the fact that we like to hear from you guys and that we want to share your feedback here on the show we want to have more communication with you guys so we'd love it if you send us feedback really 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 would if you want to send us your feedback about captain america send that in too i mean i don't really care what the topic is we just want to hear from you guys and as such it would have been disingenuous of us, David, not to read this email and reply to it. Well, well remembered. So Michael says, hey, guys, I listened to your last episode of Tech Fan and took particular interest in your discussion about the new Microsoft Office for iPad suite. While I can appreciate the Word and Excel and maybe even to a lesser degree PowerPoint, I heavily use in the business and desktop worlds. That is a trend that is not as pronounced in the realm of education. Yes, our Windows-based desktops primarily run Microsoft Office, but student use of desktops in our district is on a serious decline. This is principally because our district has adopted an iPad one-to-one program where each student in grades 9 to 12 is issued a school-owned iPad for the school year. That entails nearly 700 iPads in student hands alone, not to mention those in the hands of teachers, support staff, and administrators. Our administration has been very good about finding ways to pay for the iPads without any additional burden on our taxpayers, including replacing our desktop installment purchase agreements for ones with iPads, better utilising e-rate funds from our vocational schools, savings from purchasing digital textbooks and using many of the new free online e-texts. A number of districts in many areas of the country are also heading towards paperless classrooms where student reading and classwork is done primarily on iPads. The App Store is rich with free or inexpensive educational content and iTunes U being free for educators is a huge bonus. I foresee this as more and more commonplace in the coming years in all areas of education. Because of this program, we have adopted Apple's free pages, numbers, and keynote apps for for our students to use. They can easily share files in the cloud and print them to be handed in if necessary. And of course, all the apps can open or save Office formats. With Apple's productivity apps also online, their flexibility is even greater. The apps provide our students with every productivity need they may have in a school setting. It just all works together so well. Why then would schools choose to adopt Microsoft's relatively expensive subscription format? Schools are already strapped for money where it counts in the classroom. Paying an additional $67 to $100 per year for each student just isn't feasible for most public schools in the US. Even a discounted volume purchasing agreement from Microsoft would seem costly compared to Apple's free apps. Unfortunately, I predict that Microsoft is going to miss out on a big segment of the tablet market into public schools unless they come up with a different model to monetize the apps in academia. It's pretty hard to compete with Apple's free apps. They, that's already do all of the attacks student need, student need done. Thanks for listening to my two cents, Mike Breed. He's absolutely right. How does Microsoft compete in education with, with Office 365 when you're going against free apps from Apple that maybe they're not as good as the Office equivalents, and I'm not going to say they are, but for the most part, they're good enough for most people and definitely for students. Yeah. How uh, do you let me, with that? Yeah. Let me read back to you what I, because I did respond directly to Mike. I like to do that when people email us in. So I said, Mike, fair points, although I counter that the U.S. school system is funded very differently to others in the world. In the U.K., very few schools can afford laptops or iPads for students, and desktops are often older and normally running Windows Stroke Office. The source of financial autonomy U.S. school districts have to fund their programs is not common in other countries' public financing. Microsoft's educational pricing is nowhere near what they charge a consumer. It's tiny. For example, Office 365 for a college or university student is $100 for four years of access, including those iPad apps. Getting young with a cheap loss leader is very much the Microsoft strategy. 
So I, you know, I'd, I'd agree with with Mike's points in principle, and obviously many schools are looking at iPads, but I think there are many others who are stuck in the Microsoft world, uh, and and even the ones who are looking at iPads, um, the they can get Office three six five for not very much money. Yeah, uh, really tiny amounts of money compared to what what you or I might pay as a consumer, uh, and I think but that even will at twenty five dollars a student is still a lot of money if you're a big school district. It's, like, I my last I job, one of our clients was the uh, Chicago Public Schools. You realize how large that student body is? There's no yeah. way, no way that they could, on top of purchasing iPads, which they are doing, uh, absorb a cost for Microsoft Office. It's just but not feasible. Many, many, many schools and academic organizations are already using Office 365 because they're running their email on it. Yes, many, but many of them for use exchange. The students. No, no. But you... the, the point is, the point is, is, is if you're if you're in education and you go to Microsoft and say, I want to use Office three six five for Exchange email, they will cut you a deal that will give you very, very cheap. I mean, incrementally cheap Office three six five app access for all of their students. Yeah, they, that's what they do. It's an and, interesting and, and conundrum. The point, the point is. Microsoft's in a better position now than they were two mm-hmm. weeks ago because if those if those people are using iPads, at least they now have software that runs on it. Yep. Whereas two weeks ago they didn't. Yep. <laughs> so at least they are competing on some level. And and that was the important aspect that I, I think we conveyed that Microsoft putting Office on the iPad was a huge step. And it was them admitting that they don't control that ecosystem. They're not even a player in the tablet market. I don't care how much people may like the the Surface. It's not a competitor to the iPad. Almost nobody I, I, is buying the no. Surface, unfortunately, because I, I actually think I, it's I, a pretty good device. Yeah. It, uh, it is. And but since I um, since I I got Office for iPad, I've not I've not used my Windows tablet. Yeah, I don't need to. And I and really I think don't need to. Without Microsoft being there, that was a big problem for Microsoft. And yeah. now that they are there. There's options for schools, like you said, that are entrenched in a Microsoft-centric world. Will Microsoft cut deals with different school systems like Chicago Public Schools when you're talking about 150,000 students? Yeah, I'm sure they're going to come in and, and, and make some kind of a deal with them. They may even offer it for almost free or free. I s- I suspect that's the way it will go because they're, it's a, to them it's a lost leader. It doesn't cost them very much to do that. Nope. And yet that gets people using if, – if you're a student and you've got all of your schoolwork and your files on on OneDrive that, that's funded via school Office 365 account and then you're told when you leave school that um, you, you might lose access to all that unless you keep going with Microsoft, then a lot that's of people might incentive. say, well, actually, you know, yeah, yeah. exactly. So just the fact that Microsoft's in the space now was a huge important step because they weren't even a player, like you said, until two weeks ago. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, I did not, uh, I do not have a a 365 subscription. I don't plan on getting one. Uh, That may change with my job, who knows, but right now I don't have need for it. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm happy enough with the um, Office for iPad that I'm quite happy to pay the yearly subscription. I mean, it's good. It's that good for me. Good. So, um, and that's a sale they wouldn't have had otherwise because I get, go. I get, I get, I get a proper copy of Office through 
through work for my for my laptop. So I, I don't I didn't need to buy that subscription. And now because of the iPad one, I will do because it means I can get rid of a device. Yeah. My uh, my Windows tablet's going up on eBay next week. So yeah, until they come out the new one, and then you get the bug and you buy that one. <laughs> no, 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 no. Right, uh, I'm already thinking about the next iPad. So yeah, me too. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you very much, Michael Breed, for sending in that. Uh, thoughtful email and we hope to see more from you and other people in the future again it's tim at tech fan podcast or david at tech fan podcast or simply go to techfanpodcast.com and leave a message right under the show notes we'll read it here on the show as well we're off i'm going to record owc radio and i'll see david in a week thanks for listening